The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Hey everyone, welcome to Scissoring Isn't a Thing. As always, I'm Darren Karp. And I'm Liz Cully. And I can't believe, Darren, you you do have real friends. And one of them <laughs> has actually joined us today. And I'm yes. so excited. Remy, I am a stalker on the internet, so oh, I've been no. stalking you for a while. Amazing. Sorry, Remy Casimir. Do you Casimir. like what you see? Uh, yeah, duh. Okay, great. I get very nervous about how I'm perceived on the internet. <laughs> You're beautiful. I love your podcast. Thank you. I've listened to it. I want to be a guest. I've just invited myself. Ooh, I'm la, really la. excited. Oh, yeah. She knows what she back. wants and she asks for it. That's the whole <laughs> theme of the podcast, right? It, it really yes. is. And it turns out that Remy is here to talk about so many appropriate issues that are either broken today from last week's episode, so we have to get in it. But Liz, just to give you a background of me and Remy, Remy and I actually met IRL, and we actually met at this, would we call it a comedy special, Remy? We would well, not call it a comedy special. We would, would not. we call it a charity event about bullying? We... We would also not call it that. <laughs> Wait, Remy, 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 Remy. I know about this because my friend Leah was on the Housewives. And who's on the Housewives and texted me. And I'm like, oh my God, you have to meet Darren. Wait, so Leah I was just met Leah the other night at oh my God. this Perfect. like book party. And my friend who had written the book yeah, was like- Kat. Yeah. Kat. Yeah. Yes. She was like, this is Remy. She bombed on your show. <laughs> dead. I'm dead. I'm dead. Well, for the listeners, uh, these two lovely ladies did like an ant or like a weird bullying storytelling, like comedy special on the Real Housewives of New York. Yeah, I've heard about this. Let me put an asterisk on that because it was literally Luann's and and Chanel Omari's like event for anti-bullying. And everyone who was like, let's say there was like five speakers. Four of them were like Remy, which are like professional stand up comedians who are like funny Mm. and have bits and like hilarious. No one told me who's not a comedian or a stand up in any sort of way that this was supposed to be like a funny thing. So I went up. But to how like was tell- it supposed to be funny? Like it, it was, was the instructions were like, do comedy, <laughs> but tell a bullying story like you did the homework. You told a bullying story. It was very sad. I cried. I cried. I cried. <laughs> They filmed me. They didn't use it, but I was sobbing at your story. Well, I'm glad we've moved on and I'm glad you guys are still friends. Oh no, we trauma bonded. We trauma bonded. And then right before that, Remy was like, do you want to go outside and smoke a joint? And I was like, will you marry me? Like that was, it was like, we settled, it settled our friendship. So that was like, we've been, we've been friends ever since. So welcome Remy to this. I want to get in right away because news broke this morning. And I know that this is coming out on Friday. So this is probably already 48 hours, but things love to come out on Fridays. (laughs) They really, they really do. It's not a bad time to come out. Uh, Colton Underwood, bachelor from a few years ago who ended up, well, ended up in air quotes here with Cassie, just came out on Good Morning America to Robin Roberts as gay. Mm-hmm. Remy, what do you have to say about this? Because I know we watch a lot of reality. What was your initial reaction? I'm so excited for him. I like, I love when people come out because I'm like, oh my God, now we really get to know you, you know, yeah. especially like in reality TV, a lot of what you're seeing is editing, but also like how they want to present themselves. And when you're a person who doesn't know who you are, like how you present yourself just isn't, it's not going to, and now we get to, I don't know. He clearly was like, 
not a good bachelor, you know? And now right. it's like, well, okay, right. maybe that's a reason. Totally. And I mean, I think for me, cause I actually know who he is. I don't watch Shocking the time. I'm not, I know. Can you I know believe who it? he is? Can you believe Amazing. it? He's very cute. He's super He's so cute. I know that he had like a little bit of a restraining order situation. She with dropped his it girlfriend. though. She did drop she it. Did drop she it. did okay. drop God, it. Okay. God, everybody loves to, loves those restraining orders. But you know, what really struck me, what he said is like, he had spent so much time hating himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that just is like the work, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Here was this like virgin ex NFL player, like on paper, the best bachelor ever curly blonde hair. You want a virgin bachelor? I don't know. Are I you think still it's good stuck for TV. in that patriarchal virginity is good. Cause Remy, no, <laughs> we, you, we don't know each other, but no. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I didn't think you were. <laughs> we did technically have a born again virgin with Sean a few years ago who had lost his virginity oh, right. in his late teens became born again and then Mm -hmm. was technically considered a virgin. Not sure if scientifically we can consider him a virgin, but he was technically a virgin on on The Bachelor. This was years ago. Sean Lowe, if you remember. This was like eight years ago or something. So I don't know if we can consider Colton the first, but I think it was definitely for me. celibate bachelor, at least. Like somebody where sex is not on the table. Yeah. And for me, like, I think in society now, like that was, and when I say a red flag, I don't mean in any sort of negative way, but I was like, oh, that's interesting. Only because, and this is my own bias where I was like, he's good looking. He's Mm -hmm. in a sport. He can probably get women, you know, Mm -hmm. like I can't imagine him being a virgin outside of his own choice to be, which obviously was caked in some sort of religion. He's not an incel. I've learned what it is. He's not involuntarily (laughs) celibate. Correct. He is not involuntarily celibate, but yeah, I think that those were the questions that we were asking when he was the Virgin Bachelor, which like I remember we talked about it on How Come and we were like, oh, it shouldn't even be such a big deal that he's a virgin. But it does bring up questions. Why? You know, like, yeah. is it because he's religious? Is it because he um, has some kind of trauma that he has to get past? He's not ready to do that. Is it because right. he's not reckoned with his sexuality, whether that's gay or bi? Like, sometimes you have to come out as gay to just be bi, too. So, like, this might not be the end of his coming out. I know a lot of the comments were like, oh, but he lied to Cass and he lied to these women. Like, I don't think that's true. Like, he wasn't telling himself the truth either yet. And so he was telling them his current truth, which is true enough. And I got to say, as someone who is proudly out and gay and has been for, you know, 15 years. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? I know. You want to get off this podcast now? You're like, I didn't know that this was going to be hosted by a a, a dyke. For me, as someone who's, I would find myself to be really open and progressive. I mean, even for me, I was kind of like, I understand that because I dated a guy for four years in high school. Now, granted, I didn't know I was gay either. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like, and that doesn't denigrate. And I've told this to you before, Liz, like it doesn't take away what I had with him. Like I still loved him. We talked about with Taylor Strecker last week. We did. I still love Mm -hmm. him. Like I still have the most utmost respect for him. Like so people mm-hmm. who were like, oh, you lied, like lying implies that you knew that you were lying. And it also it implies, implies intention. Yes. Yeah. And it also and like implies malice. like he's supposed to know everything. And you're kind of like, well, people also change, you know, even in marriages, let's say just a mm-hmm. perfect heteronormative marriage. Some people can go into a marriage and be like, I want to be monogamous for 45 years. And then they've been married for 20 years and are like, well, maybe I want to be open and maybe I want to yeah. try this. Like, is that a lie? You know, and that's the thing too, is like so many people are just so rigid on something that one person says, which is why I think it's really interesting. You were like, 
he could come out as bi later. Yeah. Like, yeah, I love that. Totally. I love that perspective like, from you. Well, I think the that's first, great. The first bi guy I ever hooked up with had told me that he had to come out as gay first because he had to mm. really like reckon with himself. And I feel like not that I ever like came out as just gay, but like in my head, I was like, you're gay, you're gay. And I was like, I am, I am. And then I was like, okay, I'm bi, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. it takes you a second. I had the same experience. I think for me, when I first fell in love with a woman and was dating her, I was like, okay, well, this is it. Like I'm gay now. And then yeah. it actually really took me to be honest with you to get married and be in a monogamous relationship with a woman to be like, no, actually that's fucked. I'm not gay. Mm. I'm bi. I still fantasize mm-hmm. about men. I mean, any fucking married person that tells so you that they don't too. fantasize like a, about other people. Right? A lot of people have asked me like, oh, well, why did you even come out if like you've been with your boyfriend this whole time? I'm like, because I, it's my truth. Be, it's my truth. Yeah. I came yes. out mostly for me and then I came out to him so that he knows me better. Right. Sure. Right. Yeah. No, I love I and I like, you know, you said it a, a couple of minutes ago, Remy, where you're like, I love it when people end up, you know, whatever, if they're celebrities or reality stars coming out, because now is like now we can actually remember get to know meeting them. Caitlyn Jenner. Like she ended the up best. sucking, but it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and we give it up Fair. a lot to Caitlyn Jenner on the show just as being like a very, Death. you know, kind of like this like figure of masculinity. And to actually transition in front of everyone's eyes, really, you know, mm-hmm. over the course, huge, in the most huge. popular way, like pol- politics aside, that takes fucking guts. And so we do always give it up to Caitlyn Jenner, just d- despite all that. What I'm curious about for you guys, and I'm wondering if you think this is going to present a problem for Colton. And remember, audience, we're recording this on Wednesday, so anything could happen within 48 mm-hmm. hours when we release this. But the interesting thing I thought he said at the end of the interview was like, I haven't let myself have an emotional relationship with a guy yet. I haven't emotionally Mm -hmm. connected to a guy yet. Now, a lot of people, when I came out as gay, a lot of people are like, eh, it's an experiment, right? Like, eh, you just haven't found the right guy. Eh, you're just this. Do we think that's going to be the response to Colton being like, well, how do you know if you're gay? How do you know you're gay if you've never had an emotional response? Especially from people who like aren't gay and don't get it. Like, I mean, I've been ask that question. How do you know if you've never had sex with a woman? I'm like, I was also attracted to boys before I had sex with them. Like exactly. that's such a weird question. Exactly. 100%. Like well, I said, I've I been think- flirting at with everyone since my stroller. Does that mean I was slobbing on their <laughs> knobs and eating their pussies? No, that's disgusting. I was I a child. I don't want to slob on any knobs. <laughs> I don't want to slob say. on any knobs <laughs> ever, actually. Obviously I'm in huge support of Colton. I'm so happy he found his truth. I mean, I think the thing that's, that's tough for a lot of people is like, if you know, cause he kind of said in that interview that he knew he was maybe a little bit different, I think is what he said when he was younger. And then to kind mm-hmm. of go on the bachelorette and be a contestant on that, then to double down and then be the bachelor on it. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, if I was struggling with some big secret and I didn't know the answer to like reality TV would not be the first place that I go. I mean, to Jen kind of- Shaw is a fucking alleged well, yeah, right? I mean, um, you know what I mean? And she went a, on television, I, which I, is the dumbest I agree, thing. Liz. I think it's right. like it's like this subconscious thing that it's like, listen, maybe if I don't know me, other people or, or if this is like the final test because we know reality TV sure. exposes you. And like maybe the producers also like put him on this pipeline because they they knew that something was going to come out or something. I don't know. 
I know. Um, no, I mean, I, I agree with that. And I, I, I don't think it has anything to do. You know, a lot of people are like, how could you cast this person? It's like, how the fuck were they supposed to know? Like, no one was yeah. going to make it seem so. On paper, so tr- he's great. Well, on paper, right. and like, you've how, got the virgin thing to talk about. But also, NFL. this is still great. Right. This, this is, is still exciting. This is representation yeah. from The Bachelor. Especially like in the NFL. Especially in the NFL. Yeah. Too. And that was probably his issue, too, is he didn't have the knowledge or the representation to be like, oh, there are gay people who look like me, who come from my backgrounds, who play football. Like, I didn't totally. know that. Do you think that this also, first of all, you're 100% right. We talk about representation all the time. Especially on The Bachelor. Well, right. Well, so my question is, is like, could there now be a gay bachelor? Like, are we finally going to get the queer? You don't think it works? Still? I just, I, I, I mean, I, I'm not saying it works. I mean, obviously back, you know, I'm rewatching like real world Las Vegas in 2002. Ooh. And it is. What, what a Wait, season. Is that Trichelle's season? Yes, it's, it is. Because they're coming yes, back, right? Because yeah. they're, they're on a challenge OGs, all stars. So Fucking been, awesome. But it's kind of amazing. Like one of the women was in an open relationship. One was out and by Bryn mm-hmm. out and by and like we're mm-hmm. thinking oh, 20 yeah. years ago and like you're like wow there actually is a lot of diversity in this not only in terms of race but in terms of sexuality for back then you know so like even though we've come for a long real way world, though but bachelor is so fucking well, mormon or not mormon but it's um, just very middle america yeah it is. it's very it's middle like, america and not in a bad way because that's who's watching the show right like those are the viewers you don't think that middle america hold on though this is the only thing i would say is i feel like you know darren and i are both co-hosts on the taylor strucker show and mm-hmm. that audience is very straight and very white and very female and i feel like they love us like i well, was talking they about love liz i'm not thru- sure they love me but yeah <laughs> <laughs> i was talking about thruples and group sex which also why you should have me on your show, Remy, on Monday. (laughs) And I'm getting DMs from these women that are like, oh my God, I live in like Wisconsin and I am living Mm -hmm. through you and for you. So I just wonder if more representations happening, more people that these people have felt comfortable with Mm -hmm. or gotten to know, to your point, Remy, up until a certain point, is it maybe like this voyeuristic thing that middle America could see a queer bachelor bachelorette franchise and just be like, what are these homos doing? Demi Burnett. I think it could, Demi it Burnett could. is bi and she was on yeah. The Bachelor. And oh yeah, that's right. Was she really bi though? Well, yeah. she wasn't. wasn't there one that she wasn't? She was, but she came out with her girlfriend at Bachelor in Paradise, which kind of got allows it, got it, got it, got it, got it. for a little bit more of a less heteronormative white type of thing. The, like, the structure. Yes, the okay. structure of, of the, the show. show does, I would say, does that. Yeah, because like outsiders can kind of come in. Did you watch Are You the One, the buy and pan season? Yes, like, yes. Well, that was amazing TV. And that like I hadn't come out, I don't think, when I watched it, but I was watching it as a straight woman living, quote unquote, voyeuristically. And like a lot of like when you're like, oh, Taylor's audience is like straight. I'm like, those women are bi. Like they just don't know yet. (laughs) Totally. Well, I think totally. I I think two points with that, because I do think one, obviously, like the best disinfectant in sunlight. And so uh, there could be plenty of repressed people. I'm sure there are not just middle America. I feel like we're just using that as a generalization Mm -hmm. here for like just general cities of New York and L.A., you know, everyone else kind of. But even in New York and LA, you don't know. But yeah, no, even, yeah, sure. even in that, I'm just saying as a general statement, like I'm sure there's plenty of repressed people who like either can't come to terms with their sexuality or don't really know how to feel about yeah. having certain sexual feelings. But coupled with that, my kind of 
And there's no disappointment, obviously, because I'm happy that Colton found his truth. You know, no lives were lost. There really weren't any victims here except for Colton's own struggle with it. My problem was a little bit, and I think this is going to tie into the middle America, maybe portion of why we haven't seen a gay gay bachelorette yet, is that religion is a really big thing. And that's it, what I mean. And, I didn't mean yeah. like polygamy. I meant like kind of like Christian. It's, it's very Christian. And, and yeah. Colton even, and this was kind of my disappointment in him because, and I think Robin a little bit missed the mark on her interview here only because, you know, he's basically saying that he grew up really religious and that, mm-hmm. you know, went to church and he felt stifled. He was told his whole life, you know, gay people go to hell. And this is why he prayed to God to not make him gay. Mm-hmm. And then after he came out, he feels closer to God. And for me, that's a very huge contradiction. And it's it's very mm-hmm. annoying because I think that he had this sort of opportunity to question religion, organized religion, and religion's values there and making maybe him- maybe he is. Maybe what do you mean? he's saying that he's separating from the Christian God ideal or whatever and realizing his truth that he's like more closer to like spiritual God, that he realized that- a real God that like a higher power does accept him and did create him perfectly. I, I mean, hope so. That's entirely possible. And I do hope if you have to believe in a God, that that would be the God that you have to go for. It didn't seem like that in the interview for me. I mean, it just mm. felt like this would have been a good opportunity for him to kind of be a role model and say but to those people. He might not be there yet. And Darren. I know he's not. And I know he's not. It's a lot. I'm I know with you with religion, me, you're like, Well, I do think it causes a lot of people harm. And I think that one of the reasons he wanted to kill himself had nothing to do with everyone. Like his parents clearly accepted him. It was the religion that was telling him to do that. And if we don't recognize that, especially for a younger generation, where I feel like Mm. we're really missing the mark here. Like, and, and I feel like if we're not actually being able to state how horrible that really is. Uh, then people are just going to continue to feel that way. And, and I, and I I struggle for me. Yes. I know. And I, I just, I guess what I would say is, and I'm by no means defending anyone's religion. I just, I think what's interesting about 2020, like you look at like the Biebers and those mega churches and I've been mm-hmm. to, I've been Hillsong to like the Hillsong. I've yeah. been, yeah. I've, I've, I got the invite Boop, VIP. Yeah. It is interesting to see 2021 Hillsong, there's, you know, a couple mega churches down in Newport and I know the pastors there. They're like ex skaters, recording artists, gays. They're kind of re imagining mm-hmm. what it is for them. And so what I hope is for those people that it's so deep in them that and it's it's generational religion. I mean, I, I didn't grow up that way either. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. religion for me is like I pray to Tupac, like straight up, like for real, like Darren knows it. This is not like a funny joke, like Tupac, Whitney Houston. Like I, I, when I'm like about to like get into a car accident, I'm like, Whitney, help me now. Mm -hmm. But they might have to reimagine what religion is for them. That's the thing. It's like, you know, even people in AA, like you talk about a higher power because some people when they are lost it feels very religious you you look to a higher power like and whether and i i do think you have to get out of that like very strict ones that do say that like being gay is wrong or being trans is wrong or whatever but like you were saying like there are these great churches like there's this one on 110th on the west side it's like the church of new york and it's got like all the religions are represented in it and they give money to gay people like and they help trans something. youth yeah. and there's right. Yeah. Like it's like more inclusive and like 
yeah, I don't want to like shun people for like believing and being spiritual, but no, not at in, all. Not in at all. any religion where it says like you're going to hell for just loving who you love. Like, yeah, that that needs to like be brought up more. And I'm glad he did say that the church made him feel that way. You know, yes, like, yeah. that was important. And I actually was impressed that he said that because I, now I think that we're able to kind of have those conversations. I mean, both of you are correct in thinking that he wasn't even ready to even have that conversation. I'm not oh even saying God, he would have. No. I'm just saying, yes. I mean, that's a lot to take in, but you Do and you I think, are all, yeah, go ahead. Do you think that this is coming on the heels of Lil Nas X and his video about how the church fucked him up? Because like the video is amazing, but also the discourse around it and him really like defending his right to make that video and like seeing all these people like rush to his defense. Also, also the Christian people being like, how dare you? I mean, yeah, that's why I think Lil Nas X is fucking dope. I mean, that's why I think it was. I'm very great. sexually attracted to Little Nas mm-hmm. X. I would just like to I'm say that sure on the record of this show. I'm not sexually attracted to you, but that's fine. He's, he could very well not be Darren. And I, I appreciate your insight on that. But that video like made me feel feelings. No, I, I watched it. Are you kidding? A lot. As a, as a gay theist, I was all about it. And and this is actually a a good segue into this because we had Anne Haishan last week and uh, it was a great conversation and she was, she was awesome. And you, Remy had DM'd me, I think when Mm -hmm. I had had, and you were like, oh my God, the quote was something about like, Anne Haish basically was like, it was a hundred percent fear-based people feared me because I was so different at the time Mm -hmm. and people didn't accept. And you said, Oh my God. I hated Anne Hayes. I hated Anne Hayes. I was one of those people that didn't mm-hmm. believe in bisexuality was a thing. Now, not only are you bisexual now, uh, as yeah. Liz is, but I'm sure you weren't alone. Can you walk me through maybe what you felt at the time and then how your process changed? Yeah. Okay. So I just remember that bisexuality wasn't really discussed. Like, I guess in health class, we talked about straight sex. We talked about gay sex, but bisexuals weren't super brought up. And I don't even remember talking gay sex in health class. I don't, I don't remember. I don't know what school you went to, but that seems like a lit school. I I did not talk about gay sex. I went to a, a, I mean, private school, but a, a pretty liberal school in New York. And yeah, the consensus on bisexuals was that it was either what Carrie Bradshaw says, a one way train to gay town, or mm. it was. Can't believe that was in Sex and City. Carrie's right. Just like they were, or they were like very selfish, evil of people, course. like who yes. just like wanted more or whatever. Like, yeah, they're right. like hedonistic and like just, I want this and I can't decide. I can't decide. Right. Yeah. And for some reason I thought greedy meant that they couldn't actually be attracted to both genders. Like I was like, they just want everyone to want them. But when you realize that like the reason you want people to want you is because you are attracted to them, then you kind of have to believe in bisexuality. But yeah, I just didn't believe in it. And then especially like, I felt like Anne Heche came out of fucking nowhere. Like this this straight woman dating our sweet Ellen (laughs) and breaking her heart. And I was like, this bitch pretended to be gay so she could get famous and then she dropped Ellen and went back that to That was Dick. the narrative. Yeah. That, that was right the narrative. There, what it, you just said yeah. was totally the fucking narrative. And I don't and even I think remember right. how old I was at the time. You but were like I was 10 like, probably. I was probably 10 like and I felt like. It was like 98. Oh, I was yeah. eight. Yeah. yeah. I felt like very angry at Anne 
And yeah, she was like my representation for like bisexuals. But I also remember people being mad. I don't know if I was one of them, but probably was when Lindsay Lohan started dating Sam Ronson. Oh, yeah. Like I just are like, who did Sam Ronson not date? (laughs) But like you would just get pissed at these people because you'd be like, like, you're just such a fucking liar. But it's like, right. Or it's not what that means. Or it can come across even then as like, oh, it's just cool to be gay for the time being. So you're just gay for pay and a lack of a better term kind of thing. Is that really what you were thinking? Like, can't be authentic. Like, yeah. Yeah. But also, even if you were gay for pay, now that I'm thinking about it, it's like you would have to still be minorly attracted to them. Like, and, and now I know that there's way more bisexuals than any other sexuality. And that, you know, society has just been telling us pick straight and we have the option. So we do, you know, it's interesting that you took the narrative. I think there were two narratives and it depends on what camp and Mm -hmm. what circle you were in. I think you're totally right about this. Like Anne Hayes was and Lindsay Lohan were pretending to be gay for more tabloid picks and to further career and to Mm -hmm. like be relevant. But then and like, how could they do that to like poor, sweet Ellen. Sam yeah. Ronson and, you know, Ellen, right? And delicate, not friends with yeah. war criminals, Ellen. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. But then I think there was another narrative and this is an assumption, but I think there was another narrative like, ooh, these tricky lesbians getting these poor, mm. like Lindsay Lohan was a fucking mess at lay do she was manipulated by uh, she was manipulated and i just and took yeah, advantage and I, of her and shit like that oh 100%. my god yes of course and i remember that as well and i think what's interesting is like with Anne, the differences is that secondary narrative of ellen like didn't exist being, it didn't exist, exist. and because so ellen was an angel ellen yeah. Well, right. Well, it's interesting so, because Ellen wasn't an angel, right? Like, it's interesting that the public kind of protected her. Back but they then she was, though. But they didn't protect her six years previously when she when came she out came on her show because then yeah. she lost her fucking job for three years. So it's like public has to have someone to blame for something that they don't understand. Anne is like the scapegoat. almost. Exactly. Like, Anne is the reason why Ellen was likable again. Because it was like, exactly. we don't like lesbians, but we don't like people who don't decide even more. Yes. Right. At least Ellen has picked a side. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting. And I don't know if you guys saw this since our interview last week, but Anne now is on a hunt for a boyfriend. Okay. Mm -hmm. Did you guys see this? I did. And it's interesting because the language in her, which she's totally allowed to do, like with our interview with Anne, she was very much like, I'm, I fall in love with the person. I think she would be omnisexual in the sense that perhaps she, she, ends up dating more men than women, mm-hmm. but is attracted to everything. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting in the video, like it's kind of like a call to action to find her a partner. But she, after our conversation, Darren, I'm, I'm shocked that she wouldn't just say partner, but she does sometimes. She within a guy. used the masculine a lot. Yeah. She used the masculine a lot, which is okay. But like, you know, it's just, and she Uh-oh. can do whatever the fuck Remy's she wants like getting to do. Heated right? When you sit like, look at, look at Remy's face. Okay. No, 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 no. Because the other day, my friend Caitlin did this tweet and I was like, Oh, read it. Who is this about? I was just kind of, it was interesting because the video and it's a TikTok. So 
Anne's gone real Gen Z, but it's basically like Heather's going to find, I'm bad at picking men and I don't know how to pick men, but like actually a partner and I love a dude and a partner. And I'm like, it's just so interesting because, and again, she doesn't, you can, I could get divorced and only date men for the rest of my life. That doesn't discredit as we all just said at the top of this, Mm -hmm. you know, chat, but it was just interesting. I was like, oh, okay, well, whatever, you know? Yeah. So my friend, Caitlin Reese, fellow comedian, definitely a lesbian, might be bisexual. Not sure. Okay. I think she's bisexual because she tweeted, love when a bi woman only uses he, him pronouns about what she's looking for in dating. And I was like, who is she talking about? And now I'm like, is it Anne Heche? Might be. Do I hate Anne Heche again? (laughs) No, 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 no. We don't hate Anne Heche. No, no, no. Anne, you're an icon and I do apologize because bisexuality does exist. Yeah, I mean, 100%. And, you know, I think also a lot of times we do get a little tripped up a little bit and like policing each other with the right terms. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes that can happen where it's like she might have just been doing a TikTok video, like trying to get a partner. Right. But she because she's mostly because the world's kind of geared towards heteronormative things. She might have just said, like, looking for a guy, can't wait, whatever. And she might not have had that same intention behind it. Do you know what I mean? Especially after talking to her, like she really is trying to live as like open a life as possible it I seems think so. i thought so, so. Also, I, you have to think about like what you said the society that we're steeped in is super misogynistic and so yep. like there's a lot of things baked into our, like our heads that right. like you don't mean to keep saying that they need to be unlearned yes and and and, and i think intention does matter right and i think that we yeah. we should we should be like hey don't dead name this person. Don't do this. But I also don't think we need to say like, you're a fucking asshole for doing it. You can say like, this is why it's wrong to call and Caitlyn TikTok Jenner. loves to do that exactly. in the comments. That's the thing is TikTok polices itself. You will learn the right thing to say at the yeah. end. TikTok scares oh. me. Well, to sort of bring this conversation full circle before we wrap up, because now we've talked about Anne Hayes and we've talked about Colton and you guys sort of said that like, Maybe to some extent, it's a lot easier to come out as gay than it is to come out as bi. So do you think ultimately that if Colton came out as, let's say years from now, this is completely hypothetical. We're not saying that Mm -hmm. he's bi. He's living Mm -hmm. his truth in whatever way. If he does come out as bi later, do you think people will view him as like a liar? Like as someone who was like, doesn't understand what the fuck he wants? I hope not. I hope not. I would hope that like we understand now that people are on a journey. Like I literally like, you know, my podcast, it literally started because I couldn't come. I knew nothing about sex. The words that I used were so fucking wrong. When I listen to season one now, like I'm like, oh my God, she knew nothing. And like, I've come out as bi on the podcast, like over the course of it, I have come out with she, they pronouns as well. Like, but not at the same time, you know, like it takes time and like, it is really nice for audiences to give people that time and just be like, yeah, we love you no matter what. Yeah. You know, like as long as you're still a good person. Yeah. And I think it also shows that life is long and we're complicated and Mm -hmm. I am not the same. I mean, I'm kind of the same, but I am not the same person I was at like 13. I'm not not. the same person I was at Mm -mm. 30. I'm not the same. Thank God. I'm not the same person I was at 24, 25. Facebook memories loves to show me what a fucking mess I was. And I'm like, thank God. I am not that fucking person anymore. Do you know, Darren Carp is very good at Instagram now. We did not (laughs) think we didn't. She is getting (laughs) good. She is. She's She's getting better. better. She's getting better. Better, better, better. 
Yeah. And you know, life's a journey, everyone. Life's a journey. journey. Life's a journey. Well, and speaking of journey, we have a lovely, handsome, pro alpine skier for the United States team on this episode today, who Ooh. also went through a journey, came out in the New York Times, which is so chic. Which I, I know, that's like a classy like, way. Good morning, America. Like New York Times is so chic. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Sunday, in the Sunday paper. Like, yes. Uh, it's chef's sick. kiss, like dead. But, you know, he really talked to us about his journey of like being in sports and yeah. being super handsome, being religious, coming from Colorado. And he's really on a journey as well, you know? And uh, yeah, he's on a journey and we talked to him all about it. Remy, before we let you go. Um, yes. And you're still bisexual, right? After still. this conversation. OK, good. We'll check yes. in with you every week. Good <laughs> mm-hmm. change. Uh, where can people find you? follow you, watch you, listen to you, go for it. Oh, please come find me on the internet. I live there (laughs) now. I'm getting better at Instagram too. My Instagram is Remy Casimir. The spelling is below. The podcast is how come spelled like come. Um, (laughs) You can find it on Instagram as well. How come podcast. They also have Twitters. They also have TikToks. And we got some really sick merch, howcomepodcast.com. And also, oh, this is coming out this week, West Coast, I am opening for the amazing, amazing comedian uh, and host of We're Having Gay Sex, Ashley Gavin, on the West Coast. We're going from Seattle to like LA or San Diego. I don't know what geography is, but. Ashley Gavin was a guest of Scissoring uh, not too long ago. So there you go. She's the best. (laughs) Remy, (laughs) thank you so much for breaking down your bisexuality, your hatred of Anne Heche. We're glad we could convince you to like Anne Heche again. And for all of you guys out there, enjoy uh, Hig because he is truly amazing. Well, 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 Liz, you know, I worked out right before this interview because I knew that this whole interview was going to be a workout. You know, we are athletes, you and I, we are, we are the epitome of athleticism, obviously. But today we have someone who's probably better than us in Mm, athleticism. I would assume. I would assume. We have Hig Roberts on the line. He's an American former World Cup alpine ski racer who rocketed to the top as a member of the U.S. national and U.S. Olympic ski teams. Casual. He's a two-time U.S. national champion, uh, winning back-to-back national titles in 2017 and 2018 in slalom and giant slalom. Roberts was named to the U.S. Olympic team as first alternate to the 2018 Olympic Games in an exclusive interview with the New York Times. He came out as gay, ladies and gentlemen, on December 13th, 2020. He's what you call a gaby. He is a fresh face gaby in our in our works, making him the first U.S. Alpine ski team member and the first male World Cup Alpine skier in the world to come out publicly, which is impressive. Competing professionally on the World Cup circuit from 2014 to 2019, Roberts consistently maintained his world ranking, winning 28 international competitions in the giant slalom and slalom. Me too. I can totally relate. In 28 total, Roberts competed in over 30 World Cup races against the best skiers in the world before retiring in 2019. Welcome, Hig Roberts. How you doing? Thank you. It's good to be here. That was quite the little resume uh, boost you gave me. Hey, man, that's your fault. That's your that's resume. Your fa- yeah, we didn't yeah, write it. That's your fucking fault. Why don't you lose everything? And I could just be like, hey, Roberts, who cares? You know what I mean? It'd be easier yeah, for me. I mean, it's, it's hard enough to learn to even know what my name is. I mean, I'm surprised. <laughs> I don't know who sent, I know, I know who sent you all that information. Oh, that, that was my puppy. I am a puppy. I, I apologize. Yeah. All right. We, we have a, I'm joined by my boy, Eddie. Oh, he's, 
Okay. He's yep. a little, yep. he's, a little explicit. He's, he's giving scissoring right little... now. We'll we'll get back <laughs> yes. to him after he's done scissoring for sure. But well, uh, and we and we just talked about this as we were starting to record, but we'd love to know where you grew up because now you are just down the road for me in Los yeah. Angeles. But yeah. where where did you grow up? It's hard to totally place exactly where my home is. I mean, I'm a Colorado native in the sense that I was born in Denver. And moved up to Northern Colorado uh, when I was eight. Uh, it was my family's, cool. my parents' dream to raise us in a small ski town. Um, so I grew up in Steamboat Springs. And then, you know, I, I I always wanted to kind of get away and get out and go to different places. So I found myself going to a sports academy in Northern Vermont, you know, right right below the Canadian border. And then I followed that up going to college in Vermont as well, uh, Middlebury College in, in Southern Vermont. So yeah. And then, you know, since then I was traveling the world, mostly in Europe. And then I was living in, in Oslo, Norway, most recently before the, you know, and then the pandemic happened and got myself back to the U.S. And now I'm on the other side of the country and with no snow, <laughs> with no, with no snow. snow. And despite what people say, other than Tahoe, I would say pretty shitty mountains down here compared to what you were probably doing in Europe and in Vermont and in Northern right. Colorado. So you just abandoned the snow and came to the West coast. It was, it was funny because I never really envisioned myself being in LA, I guess, just because of where I found myself traditionally. But I don't know. I, I, 2020 is weird. Like I just, I started making connections in terms of work and figuring out what I wanted to do. And I'm like, all of a sudden within a couple of days, I, it's just like, I'm going to move to LA. So um, it's a great change up. Like it's, it's very disorienting for me. It's February and like, I'm wearing pants right now, but I was on a walk like two hours ago and it felt like I was on vacation. It just feels like I'm on vacation, which is amazing. And, you know, cause as a skier and as someone who grew up in like the tundra everywhere I went, you know, anytime you get nice weather, or the sun, it's usually on that like one week of vacation you're taking in Mexico or whatever. So it's a really good feeling. I love it here. And well, and you landed in like the gay capital of the fucking world in West Hollywood, as Liz will tell you. I mean, it couldn't get any gayer where you live, I feel like. <laughs> it's yeah, definitely I mean, gay friendly. It's definitely gay friendly. Yes. <laughs> gay friendly. Um, yes. yes, I would say so. A hundred percent. Well, I know we kind of talked about your New York or Darren rather talked about you coming out to the New York Times last year, but we do love to give the opportunity to our guests to uh, identify themselves for our listeners, whether that's sexuality yeah. and gender or both. Do you mind identifying yourself for yeah. us and the listeners? I, I am a, I'm a gay man. Yeah, that's, uh, you know. It's I, a long I've and short of I, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm happy and proud. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, Just, that's the answer. Yeah. Gay, gay man hig three all three letters. Ooh, gay man hig. Oh, gay man yeah. hig. I don't know. I don't know. I just came up with that. You know. No, I like it. Well, <laughs> you know, I I actually want to ask you. You know, I mean, I was sort of making this joke that you're this gayby or fr you know, literally you came out publicly at least two months ago. But I imagine you didn't come out the day that you realized you were gay. And I was I was researching you a little bit, and I wanted to find out your coming out story, but in Wikipedia, which is an interesting place because I've Love tried to edit my boss, Andy Cohen's Wikipedia thousands of times <laughs> and like you can get kicked off. So you're only allowed to say yeah. certain things that are like factual or things that you can like go back to like a New York times article. Where, and the interesting thing about your Wikipedia, and I'm not sure you Wikipedia oh yourself. Oh yeah. I'm but in your early life and education, it says 
He competed in a large tournament for the first time at age nine, broke your femur, resulting in a risky surgery. The next yep. sentence after this is, he began questioning his sexuality when he was 12, but did not come out. And then the next sentence after that is, Roberts placed seventh in the giant slalom in the 2013 <laughs> winter. Like, it totally just goes over the thing that we want to talk about the most. So I oh, imagine wow. that you have come out to say publicly that you were questioning your sexuality when you were 12. Is that correct? And can you walk us through that? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I actually haven't. I haven't really looked at that. Well, um, done, Darren. I gotta say, she's an investigator. Well done, Darren Carp. Thank you. Well done. I need you on. I need you on my team. Um, I got you, babe. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I remember when I was hitting that about that age of twelve or whatever. I knew. I like. I, I felt that I was different, but. You know, I, there was no people in my family who identified differently than heterosexual. And I lived in a very small, pretty conservative town up in Northern Colorado with not much exposure to what that really meant. So I guess I didn't really know what being gay was, except for what I was seeing maybe in popular culture or some TV shows or whatever. My mom, whatever was on TV, that's what I saw. But I, I remember just being like, okay, the, I am different from my teammates, my friends, my you know, I have a twin sister who's like a very clear person I always had and was, was like, okay, we're, I'm different and I'm gay. But, um, and if I remember being very okay with it, um, didn't really, I didn't talk about it at the time. It wasn't like, Hey mom, um, this is going on because I had this strange, like precociousness about it. I was like, I'm fine. Like, I know I'm going to be okay. And this is actually, I kind of recognized and it, maybe it's not a healthy thing necessarily, but that it was pushing me to work harder in, in sports and school. And just because I've always felt different from my my peers. And uh, so I wanted to prove myself or whatever. And honestly, the way that I like internalized my sexuality, like kind of flip flopped as I got older. And especially when I entered the you know professional sports world and when skiing became my career post-college was that you know, not seeing anyone who's identifying or feeling the way I was in the space. I, I was, I thought that my brain was playing some sort of trick on me in a way. And I lost that, that early kind of maturity about accepting myself for who I was because there was nobody else in the space like me, or, you know, it was a very hyper-masculine world, alpine skiing, the traditional right. format of skiing. Um, I ultimately went back into myself and started questioning who I was again and, and feeling like maybe what I thought when I was young wasn't true, even though, you know, deep down, of course, like I was born that way, you know, and it was, it was a bummer because I was, I was ultimately proud of it as a kid, but lost that confidence in, in my identity as I, as I got older. And that, that was a big reason I spoke up is simply just having the visibility of people like me in the space would have been so helpful. Um, just to understand that it was possible for me to be pursuing this type of career and this type of life while being a gay man. So, you know, it took a while to get there and ultimately could have, would have, should have type of situation, but I'm, I took the road I did for a reason and I'm, you know, I'm at the destination now and it feels, feels good. So. Who was the first person you came out to? I mean, twins usually have this sixth sense I've heard about each other. Yeah. Did you come out to her first or did she know if you did? And what was that like? I, I would have come out to my sister first, but she was not around me at the time. You know, I, I, I told my parents quite a long time ago in my early twenties that I was confused and um you know i just didn't really know but you know i come from a very amazing amazingly tolerant and accepting family so uh, you know even telling them was it never was the scary thing for me to do it was more i had to get 
to my own place of acceptance. Like even telling them that I was confused or whatever, when I was in my early twenties, I, I felt like I hadn't got there myself to understand what it meant or accepted myself. So it didn't feel like it was bringing me the freedom and, and the, you know, solving this identity crisis that I was going through. But ultimately, yeah, I mean, my sister, you know, a twin is a really special thing. It's one of the most amazing things I've ever encountered in my life. And, or I'm so lucky to, to be a twin, but yeah, I mean, I think she probably knew. I mean, I think my siblings knew growing up. I think people knew, you know, which there's been, there's been no exact like uh, call out on it, but it's right. probably there. You said that alpine skiing was really like a very masculine sport and, you know, you kind of went back in to questioning your sexuality. You know, Darren and I have spoken about sports in the past and how, you know, there was kind of this perception that male team sports specifically is quite homophobic and, you know, it's hyper, hyper masculine. And yet with skiing, it's so individual and obviously there are teams, et cetera, but for the most part, it's kind of an individual sport. Where did that hyper masculinity present itself within the skiing community that you felt like? Would it be at specific events or like, was it just an air about who a skier should be? Like, where did you kind of feel yeah. those moments? Yeah. I mean, I think it's funny to talk about skiing and my career and all this with people who, because it is a, it's a kind of unique sport. I mean, of course everyone knows skiing, but then within skiing, you have different events in skiing, you know, you sure. have like yeah. freestyle skiing, like what Gus does. And then you have like Alpine skiing, um, which is you know, it's a very old traditional kind of boys club sport, you know, from okay. the get go. And you know, and you know how it is in the US now too. It's, it's a sport kind of reserved for, you know, it costs a lot of money to do these sports. And then, you know, the access to the sport is difficult. And that's something I hope that will change. But, you know, I grew up in the town I grew up in was called Ski Town USA. So, you know, for PE class, we had skiing. So it was a very readily available sport to me. I never meant to be a professional skier. Um, but ultimately what I found compared to, I did all the sports as a kid, I was constantly moving around and, you know, fidgeting like I am now. But the interesting thing about skiing is that it's very popular sport in Europe, which is where the World Cup circuit, a professional sport events are held. It's mostly all in Europe and they've kind of created a culture over there that's that's kind of bled into how the U.S. views it. And that culture is basically when you're an alpine skier, you're essentially a racehorse. It's mm. a sport of power, physical prominence um you know we're training in the gym uh, eight hours a day in the off season it's pretty much non-stop it's you know you have to be in very good shape to be safe doing it um and so it kind of leads to this this world where it's you know only the powerful and biggest and strong like survive and then over in europe some of the alpine skiers in austria switzerland uh norway sweden that type of thing you know they're larger than life they're like the biggest celebrities because you know, they value the sport and, you know, it's kind of like our version of American football in a way. And sure. so you, right. you know how it is. And, and and you have to play by the rules of masculinity, which is these athletes get venerated for their performance and for their bodies. And yeah, on top of that, it's insanely, as you said, it's individual. Like I skied under the, the flag of America and I had teammates, but you know, at the end of the day, they were almost my biggest competitors. And so there was, there isn't a lot of team camaraderie and it's, it's very, very individualistic. It's just you in the starting gate. So it makes for a very competitive cutthroat world. You know, you mentioned kind of the reason that you came out was, you know, to, I think to grapple with and to feel confident in, in your identity and to kind of like state that like, Hey, like you can be as, 
you can be a manly man and be a, a, a fucking world renowned skier and also happen to be homosexual. And that's not really what you are. Right. But I'm I'm curious for you. Do you ever the thing about athletes as opposed to, let's say, politicians or talk show hosts is that athletes are viewed as like a commodity of how good that they are, you know, how fast they can run, how quickly you can punch, how whatever it is, like, can you score a goal in soccer? So you're sort of quantified down to this like quantity, you know, like, can you ski it in 10 seconds or not? No, fuck you. You're not on the team, whatever that is. Um, But now when you come out as gay, you have this platform. Now you're not just a skier, right? You're a fucking gay skier. And so did you ever before you kind of came out to the world, did you ever feel this pressure and, you know, sort of this, I don't know, responsibility to like, not only be an athlete and represent the United States, but now to represent the gay community as well or no. Yeah. I mean, I, that definitely, you know, like I was, there was points in times where it was like, you know, super ready to, to do that and to like take on that obligation, you know, Gus coming out was when he came out, you know, a couple years early into my career, you know, I looked at that with such encouragement, like, okay, I can do that too. But again, like to understand my story, there's like a lot of layers and, uh, you know, I never want to be like, um, the way I operated in, in general with my sport, it was, I, you know, it's kind of an underdog to get there in the first place. I came from college and then turned professional. There was a moment when I was feeling very ready and kind of accepting that. Yes. Okay. As soon as I come out, I will be the gay skier, you know, and I'll, I'll my label will change. And, you know, ultimately I'll be sitting in, in the start gate about to go down an icy, you know, treacherous pitch with 50,000 people screaming and, and watching me and I'll, and I'll be known for this is the gay gay skier from America. And that was that, you know, ultimately it was a hard thing for me to totally envision happening just because I was already such an underdog to, to make it. And then I had this tragedy where I lost my little brother, my first year professional, and it just didn't really leave me. I kind of became the afflicted one in that way already. And I was like closeting my feelings of grief because when you're an athlete, you have to compartmentalize your world in order to perform. It's the mental aspect of the sport is tremendous. Ultimately, it's just a lot of muscle memory, like getting down the hill when it ha- when when it's time to go. But everything's up in the brain. I just didn't think there was enough space for me to be the underdog who went through the college, the kid whose brother died, and then also the gay one. And so I, you know, I loved being a skier. I was every day I was out there, I felt so blessed and lucky to like be realizing my dreams. I never thought it would happen. So I ultimately, I needed skiing to provide therapy for so many things in my life. And I just kept quiet about it because I, I was scared and I was lonely and I was sad. I was worried about my career being jeopardized by being gay. I mean, my funding and a lot of things that kept me in the sport was controlled by the opinions of other people. So much as it sucks and like, you know, that's a big problem. Right. And, and, now that I'm out and talking to people again, I realized there would have been a lot of support for me and that's beautiful, but you know, it's never too late to be who you are and, and then to want to, you know, change it in the future. So I'm hope I'm hoping like that's the big hope. And I think there will be soon. There are going to be, there's going to be someone behind me taking on this role of being the first openly gay male ski Olympic skier that is still competing. That, those days are coming and, this will be a non-event, you know, to come out and be a professional athlete. So we can only hope for that. You mentioned Gus a couple of times. And for the listeners, that's Gus Kenworthy that we're speaking about. Do you know him personally? Did you guys talk after you came out or before at all? 
Well, so like the U.S. Ski Federation is like a big umbrella, you know, so we're all under the same kind of national governing body or whatever the Olympics. But I didn't know him that well before, but we've talked since I came out and, you know, talked to a lot of athletes in kind of this space. And that was like, was really encouraging was because it's such a relatable, hard to relate to a lot of people on it. So I don't know him super well, super personally, but you know, he's still competing and, you know, he was in the X games last week. Did you reach out to him or did he reach out to you? I think he reached out to me after the New York times article. That's cool. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's such over like, that's gonna be great because we can be in two skiers, you know, he's super involved in the community and, and giving back and talking about his, you know, identity in sports. So I think we'll, we'll be able to collaborate in the future. What was that morning like when the New York times article came out? for you <laughs> I actually like I totally forgot I actually like I slept in really late that morning it was Sunday <laughs> yeah I actually was like amazing I, I, don't know what, I, I got the call on Thursday or Friday that it was like gonna be pushed to like a front page or something on Sunday of the sports and casual like, oh, front page yeah. on the Sunday well, in, like, yeah, no. in the lights well yeah. all this all this is just like, okay. Cause I ever, I didn't know it's like, I love how you're like, expect- it was just like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right away. yeah. I'm like, okay. I heard of the New York times before. That's pretty cool. But yeah. um, <laughs> I, I just didn't think I would talk about it publicly. And then when things started falling to place like this and I gave the interview and they said, oh, they wanted to do, put it in the Sunday on the front page. And I'm like, oh, that's great. But I, I guess I, in my mind, I was like, okay, I'll believe it when I see it. So I actually just like woke up 10 a.m. on Sunday and I looked at my phone and I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. And then it was, it was wonderful. <laughs> I went down to like a local newspaper shop and like bought it and like looked at it. And yeah. So yeah, but it was, it was just a nice day. I felt like so relaxed and I was like just breathing and I love that. Yeah. So. I mean, that's pretty incredible. I, I'm curious because, you know, you're one of a few athletes that we've had on here and you're a good athlete. I know that you're retired now, but let's say retirement aside, you know, when we talk in the athlete world, like take Serena Williams, for example, you know, she's sort of been described as the greatest female athlete ever. Certainly I think the best she's the greatest, fem- greatest athlete ever. I well, say. this is, this is my point to you because <laughs> yeah. she's, you know, she's described as that as the best female in tennis, but she's pushed back and saying, I don't want to be the best female. I want to be the best period. Like it doesn't really matter. I'm the best athlete as is. Right. Do you agree with that assessment for yourself? And if you were, let's say you take home the gold medal in the next Olympics, just using, let's say you're not retired and someone's like, this is the best gay athlete in the world. Would you take offense to that? Or do you kind of wear it with pride in some sort of way? I think it's important for like, I think Serena's absolutely right. I mean, I will say, I think she's the greatest athlete to ever live her and Roger Federer. Honestly, I have so much, I love, I love Serena. I, I, I think Me she's too. amazing. Obsessed. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I, I like go back to her quotes all the time. She's, she's amazing. But uh, yeah, I think it's to break down this, like identifying and categorizing people. It's important to, there is value in that, but I think, being gay and being an athlete or being a female and an athlete is no more important than being an athlete and eating Wheaties in the morning versus eating Cheerios. Like it's, it should all be an equal level playing field. And I think it's important to recognize that being a gay athlete or being a female athlete, like there are more barriers you, you had to, you know, probably overcome to get yeah. to that high level. But 
like the inherent nature of sport and athletics is that it effectively puts, it should put everyone on an equal playing field when, you know, when the ball is dropped or when, you know, the start gate opens or, you know, the match begins, like it should be equal on, like it doesn't, you know, the nature of sport and games and, you know, the Olympics or anything is, it doesn't care who you are, your, how you identify sexually, you know, where your background is, like your race or it's at the end of the day, it's a, it's a game. So yeah. Right. So it should be treated like that when it's judged. And, you know, I think that if I had gotten to that level, I will say like, uh, I'm, I'm the first to admit, I mean, I had a pretty, I, I did some great things, but I was yeah. a average. Uh, <laughs> I would say so. I would yeah. say but so. If I was better, if I was an Olympic medalist, I think, um, you know, I, I don't think it would change my perspective on how I'd want to be viewed for that in terms of being gay or not. So, so I have friends who have been athletes in particular have been on, you know, national teams before. And when they go and compete in other places, the host country will, you know, try to host them, right? Like take them out right. to dinner, set them up. Did anybody ever try to like set you up with girls um, in other countries or, you know what I mean? And you were in an yeah. awkward situation where you'd have to be like, listen, you're cute, but like we can pretend, but I'm not the one yeah. for you. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's because you're very yeah. handsome. Let's just yeah. like, oh, well, come on. You know, you guys are, you we guys see are that very body. I mean, I have bigger biceps the- than you. Oh, you, but yeah. It's Darren's fine. really big. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Prove it. it's fine. Yeah. Right. Prove it. <laughs> Darren's like, no. Let me put down my diet coke. I literally right. am like, yeah. I need to lift weights right now because his arms uh, are incredible. Yeah. But your yeah. arms are banana cans. Literally, All banana right. cans. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Oh, question. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. Did anybody uh, try to set you up and you were like, yeah, Yo. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like, you know, you're, you're so busy. Like, this is such a lame answer to say to this, but it's like, you're like so busy when you are competing. Like, there's very little time in the day. And then most of us aren't like partying or drinking while we're competing. But th- there is definitely a thing like, you wear your US ski team national, like your national team coat out in like a small town in Austria or France or whatever. And you know, people are very, yeah. Like, and you know, it, it's a, it's a thing there. Like the women want to, you know, yeah, it, de- it definitely happens. And like, you get, you know, that, that's the other thing you get, like, uh, your teammates start doing that type of thing and talk about it and blah, 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 you know, like locker room chat. And you're just kind of like, okay, but did you ever lie? Did you ever like go, we've, we've talked about this a few times on the show in the past. Like if there was ever moments when you kind of just didn't say anything or rolled with it. I know personally in my own career, there have been a good gazillion times, countless, because I constantly have to come out because I quote, don't look queer. Right. So people are like, how's that husband of yours? I'm like, I don't know. I divorced him a long time ago, but I now have a wife. Like, (laughs) I don't know. You know what I mean? But it gets exhausting. So have there, were there moments early on in your career where you just kind of were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was real. Love the tits. You know what I mean? Or like, I mean, I'm not yeah. saying that, that you made would me ever cringe, say Liz. Yeah. I know. <laughs> it actually made me cringe. As- <laughs> and I'm gay and that made me cringe. No, actually, as I said it, to be honest with you, I'm like, oh my God, like, who no. am I? Right. What right. am I you doing? Just say tits See, to we're Hick, pretending. We're pretending yeah. to be people we're not. Um, but did yeah. you ever That's do that? Okay. Or felt like pressure to do that? Yeah, I mean, for sure. And I, I uh, ultimately, like, I was, like I said, I, I was kind of just isolated from a lot of the riffraff. I mean, I was just like, at the end of the day, like, I was so different from my teammates just on paper. Right? I was sure. kind of a nerd, like, quiet, but, like, intense when it came to, like, you know, competing and, and 
anything involving the sport, but I like off the hill, I was just very uh, reserved. I go, I go read, I go read my books, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I go like study the, you know, like, uh, yeah. So when you look back at your career in the public eye, but really as an athlete, do you think there's something about being an athlete and having the confidence to perform every time, but also, you know, this is your professional job. Like you said, you're working out eight hours a day. I mean, you have to eat the right things. You have to do whatever. Was being an athlete in some way, maybe helpful to you to come out? Like, did it give you this confidence in a way that would be helpful to you or not at all? Do you not see them overlapping? Honestly, that's a, that's a really unique question. I think about that. It's funny because becoming a professional athlete and and getting to where I did was like, Oh my gosh, when I was a little boy, I'd like dream about it and like watch on TV and be like, I will never do that. And then, you know, I'm there, but it did complicate me trying to live a happy, like authentic life because I had to like, again, play the rules of conformity and that were in front of me already there. Like there was no roadmap for me to follow as like, I, I thought I would jump into it and, and, you know, it would liberate me like, cause I'm achieving my biggest dreams and all this stuff, but it basically became like this, Oh shit moment. Like now I have to like really become exactly the type of athlete in the space that will succeed, which is like, you know, straight <laughs> and uh, yeah. non-opinion, uh, you know, with the scheme in a lot of Olympic sports too, you have to kind of be, you know, just one of the masses. Like we don't have a, we don't have as strong as a platform as like a, NBA or bit player or basketball or a, you know, baseball player, like a big sport where a lot of us are just like small town kids who work really hard to get there. We don't make all our money and you know, the world only really cares about us every four years. And so you, you just kind of like learn to become almost just like a cog in the wheel. If that may, it's kind of, this is yeah. really depressing. I'm talking about, I think you, it's uh, helpful for, for yeah. people who are in, you know, in those types of situations, not just athletes, but anyone who might be right. in a little bit more of a conservative no, yeah. type of career, you know, that yeah. it's helpful. But I yeah. think you also make an interesting point in saying like, of course people wrap Americans specific, you know, we rally for you. We're so excited, but it is that interesting cadence of every four years. There's like this insane excitement. And then on the off years, you're like kind of head down training though. I will make, I will say this, nothing could prepare you for like a Puerto Vallarta gay cruise. (laughs) than years and years of training because you've got now the just the body adi adi to get it on and pop. Yeah, you're gonna be fine sweetie they're gonna be fine yeah, with the dms I, yeah you're gonna be yeah. fine i'm like hello yeah <laughs> here uh, you are before we get to our uh queer fun nonsense game two quick questions for you one after you came out of the new york times did you get any amazing dms and we have to know from who or what they were and then two what piece of advice would you maybe give somebody who's young maybe in their early teens who feels different maybe is queer and in a in a community growing up in a town that might be conservative but also getting into something that is a little bit more conservative as a career what advice would you give to those people Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, the you DMs, got DMs. You know. yeah, you got DMs. Darren, that yeah. was my question yeah. for the quick fire <laughs> rapid game. So um, go for it. Let's hear it. Sorry. I don't know. I mean, I don't really know many, that many people, so it's kind of like, but there was some nice, like lots of like prominent gay men in like politics and you know, they, they reach out to me. My brother is a politician. So 
a lot of his like colleagues reach out to me who are who are gay and you know they kind of knew the story or whatever so that was cool. cool yeah but yeah a lot of athletes and you know it's like a weird like covid you know so you know there's lots of stuff that probably i would have happened in terms of like meeting people in more situations but it's a tough world talking to yeah but it's great you know, you talk to people like you through through zoom but yeah no it's it's been really nice to you know as you guys know it's like a, it's a community and it's you know you don't want to like isolate yourself to just relating to that one that community over just simply your sexuality or but it's it's spent so long like straying away from that and like not showing myself anyone of truly who I was. So it's been, it's been nice to just to like, let that go. So yeah, those are the DMs. I don't know what else you would juicy information. Oh, um, we, were, we were hoping for something a little juicier, but yeah. Darren and I like, will you slide want, into you your want, DMs. You want yeah. names, don't you? I, we you want know, size of we dick do. pics is what we no, want. I'm Aaron. <laughs> Aaron, stop it. Just kidding. Aaron Just always uh, wants to know about the dick pics. It's like never fucking Because ending. women don't do this to each other. Women aren't sending boob pics. So I'm just fascinated by it. Like, I, I'll take a boob pic. No. I'll take I one too. Real, I was saying. hoping, I don't know. I was hoping for some names. I don't know, Darren. I don't want to speak for you, but I was hoping for some like, some messy fun yeah DMs like andy cohen or whatever <laughs> sliding in or something that's that's what i well, want I, you could i, I haven't heard you can make him, that so. happen darren i can <laughs> make that happen well well let's on that piece of advice that maybe you'd give the uh younger oh, generation right, yes. before we get into the game what what piece of advice or something that maybe you wish someone had told you uh i think ultimately like it's this idea that you like you really i think and we've all felt this being different or and that very stark, just kind of debilitating feeling of loneliness of like, whoa, like I, I'm just like, so like, I felt that with my family too, like people I'm supposed to, you know, be the closest to like, gosh, I'm just so different. It's just so scary and lonely, but it really needs to be known that everything is safer than you expect. And like, there is a world out there that's truly going to accept you for who you are. And, you know, but at the same time, like take your time at figuring out like you have to be strong within to, you know, to accept who you are first. Don't feel pressure about if it's not the right time or you feel unsafe, you know, that's a big thing. Some people are, unfortunately it's, it's unsafe for them to be who they are in the current environment they're in, but just realize that there is a very large community. And in general, people, I do believe that all people are good and that, you know, you will be taken care of, but also like the resounding thing is that, as human beings, we deserve the chance to be happy. Like I've, I've struggled with trying to accept that. I've always been so kind of pessimistic about happiness. I'm like, you know what? I know it's like a state of mind and you can't like always have it, but like, why do I feel like it's so far away from me? But like, honestly, it's there. It's always within reach and being who you are and unabashedly yourself is like the easiest way to, to find that feeling of happiness and have the right to that as people. So just like hang in there. I, I've had conversations with young kids already reaching out to me and that's the most like beautiful thing. And I can almost just insert myself into their brain when they're writing. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I remember that exact moment. Yeah. But like, you'll be fine. You'll get there. Like, you know, I'm here for you and trust me, more people are there for you than you can ever imagine. So 
Well said. See, that was Love a good that. way to end before our stu- yeah, with a snap with the stupid queer yes. nonsense game. Uh, all right, let's play Scissor Me. Th- what is this game? I it's called I didn't, Scissor Me. This. All right, I'm used and to it's tra- I'm used to training for things, and I never got. I didn't get a heads up is, to this. So this we don't do pre-interviews for this because we want right off right. the top of your head. It's just rapid fire, right. stupid, no wrong, right answer. I already took one of Liz's, so we'll have to reformat that. Yeah, Liz, take did. it away. It's first. okay. I have extras. I have <laughs> extras. Yeah, I figured you did. I figured. Okay, who would you rather party with, Johnny Mosley or Sean White? Johnny Mosley, hands down. I've actually seen him when I was 12. I was in New York. Family brought me there for, for a trip. This is such a tan- tangent, but... Love it. He was in the elevator of the hotel we were staying at, and he had come back from something, and he was... Wasted. Lit. Wasted. And my parents yeah. were like, oh. And uh, they were like... <laughs> and then they told us like three years later, do you remember that guy? And I was like, what? Johnny Mosley. Anyways, he, so I he knows Johnny's how to party. Johnny's yeah. a good time. That's a good um, answer. If you had to go to the Olympics this year, or for the next Winter Olympics, rather, which of these two do you think you would bring home the gold in? Figure skating or curling? Oh, so I did play hockey as a kid. My grandfather oh. was a, was an, actually was in the Olympic system for hockey. So maybe I could do a little twirly twirls, but I, I don't, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm going to say curling is not my thing. So figure skating. Figures get interesting. Yeah. All right. Go yeah. ahead, Liz. Okay. On that yeah. note, what is the like most stereotypical, like gay thing that you love in uh, this kind of like environment? Like RuPaul's Drag Race or like. Where that you would be like, I love that shit. And it's yeah. super gay. And we lo- can talk right. about that because we're in the tribe. Right. I wore I flannel mean, yesterday. So yeah. we're, we're here. We're here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I. Do you like Ru- RuPaul's Drag Race? And I am a fan, but who I isn't? Mean, who isn't a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race? Yeah, You're lying to me if you're not a yeah. fan of that show. Yeah, it's been it's been it's. I love that they've been going through this whole safely going through this whole COVID thing. It's been great to have that. I don't know. I mean, I really like Ariana Grande. Like that's I've very gay. Have. That is the answer. I, I, that's I, gay. I, I, I used to listen to her like before some ski races, which I was. That like, was oh, my next question. My that was my. If I, if my teammates here, oh. <laughs> okay, okay, fine. We'll this ask is a perfect that, If you could only ski to one song for the rest of your life, what would the song be? What's Higgs' anthem? I, me and my sister used to listen to Paradise City, Guns N' Roses, like before <sighs> driving to ski. Like that was our big thing. I feel like I still, when I hear that song, I think of, think of us like about to ski. And she was way better than I was when I was a junior, and she would she loved that song. So probably that. That's a great. That's song like a good song. Yeah, that's yeah. a good just song. It's yeah. continuously, yeah, go down yeah. the slopes too. All right, last round. Go ahead, Liz. Okay, I'm not sure if you are single or not. You are welcome or not welcome. Whatever you want to <laughs> to chime in on that. But what is your biggest turn off when you are dating someone? Like, what is a a non-negotiable for you. I mean, someone who doesn't laugh at my jokes, I guess that's like, that's mm. a big one. That's a big one. I, I don't know. I, that's like the number one thing I look at is like someone who makes me laugh. I mean, that's like huge, but I think I, I like stories. I like people who have, uh, who are open and like honest about who they are and authentic about it. Right. Like I feel that what, what we're going through right now, everyone's opening up a little bit more about how they feel. And I love that. And so am I obviously. Such yeah. a sincere response. I love it. I don't know. I, 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 I agree. 
I need a training to say something like more. No, you don't need a training. Yeah. No training. Yeah. We actually don't want the the media yeah. training is horrible Doesn't for do things like for this. Oh, I went through media training. Oh, I bet you did. Oh, I'm sure so you did. I, like, my first year when I was like professional, it was, it, oh my gosh, it was shocking. It, I think it made me worse. <laughs> All right, here's, here's the last one for you. And I don't think this can, this is, this is silly. When you ski, so you're still doing yeah. it. Would you rather have your ski outfits two sizes too small or two sizes too big? I don't know if you see what we wear. Like we wear, <laughs> I, could, wear I have one upstairs. We literally, yes, they're like micro like, suits. I mean, yeah. they're like, they, they're already two sizes too tight. You know? <laughs> it's not a so bad let's look, say, I guess. Cut off your circulation tight <laughs> right, or yeah. baggy on your body. Kinda. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the baggy, the bagginess is something that we never experienced, but they're just getting tighter and tighter. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Maybe it's just yeah. easier to ski in tight clothes, better aerodynamics anyway. Yeah. I would yeah. think so. I would go tight than loose because it's cold and you need to like, like hug. I'm waiting for them to become like a fashion trend, honestly, because I have like 30 of them in my closet and they're just useless now. The, the suits we wear. I don't know if you, if you know what I'm talking about. Oh, I know. Like, I've seen them. Yeah. Okay. You live in West Hollywood and you're gay. You're going to find a reason to use those <laughs> I leotards. Oh. I guarantee uh, you. No doubt in my mind. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Don't yeah, scare we'll see. him. Yeah. yeah, you can wear <laughs> one. I'll meet you at California Chicken Cafe. It'll be perfect. Okay, I'll meet. I'll meet you that you this afternoon. I'll I'll come to the. They have that little drop off zone, you know. Oh, I know. Oh, I'm there. I'll be there. And my okay, on, yeah. perfect. You better perfect. be in a leotard, otherwise Liz will not be yeah. showing up. I'll just drive right. on by. It has been a pleasure, pleasure having yes. you on yeah. this show. Where can folks? Follow you, find you, see that beautiful body on that Instagram oh, with Eddie. <laughs> I don't ask Eddie. He's my he's my. Oh, he look is, at him, sleepy yes, leepy. Yes. I love yum, it. Yum yum yum. Uh, I haven't. I need to bring him on a walk. Um, I. It's just my name, Hig Roberts, is Instagram, and then I just got on the Twitter game recently. Oh, welcome to hell. Good luck. Yeah, good luck. Yeah. I know the Twitter game. I find myself just in wormholes on that thing. But um, it's Hig, I think, underscore Roberts. Someone had taken Hig Roberts already, which surprises me. But yeah, that's where you can find me. Interesting. Well, thank you so much. And for everyone out there, you can follow us at SIAT Podcast. You can follow Liz at Listen to Liz. You can follow me at Carpe Darren Hig. Thank you so much, my man. You're the best. Thank you. That was really fun. It was a nice way to start the Friday. And have a great weekend. And You as well. Hope to see you guys soon. Hope to see you. California Chicken Cafe. Let's get chicken and the cookies. <laughs> well, yes. yeah, no, I'm going to message you after this for the cookies. But I'll also say, okay. Darren knows my only social activity is the dog park, which is hey. the West Hollywood Dog Park, which guess who I saw just to wrap it up. Speaking of at the dog park two weeks ago, Heidi Ooh. in Closet from RuPaul's Drag Race. Ooh. There you go. He's so, like, I got to go to the dog park right now. I got to, I got to meet my drag the stars do- right the here. The West yeah. Hollywood dog park is the most like lit celebrity, weird scene. COVID scene, scene yeah. ever. Scene, right. So yeah. let me All know. Right. And I would love to meet you. Ravioli right. would love to meet Eddie. Thank you Aww. so much. Okay. It's a date. Yeah. We love you, Eddie. Well, thank you. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Bye. Scissoring Isn't a Thing is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson. 
The show is edited by Maureen Begas. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SIAT Podcast. See you next Tuesday.